You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. And Tracy, for an audio podcast, it's getting harder and harder and harder for me to sneak Grogu up into the camera shot yeah, without yeah. looking like I'm moving so that yeah, he can start doing yeah. his little headbutting thing to the music. So <laughs> just throwing that out there. Yeah. I mean, you're, yeah, I appreciate that you're rising to the challenge, though. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's good for all of us. So one, so I've now been here in the functional nerdverse for long enough that we've been able to have a couple guests on more than once in my time here. And it's, so it's always fun to kind of get back with someone and check in on where their work is uh, since last we left them. And this feels like a particularly apropos discussion because we've got Andrea Harrison back. And the last time we talked to Andrea Harrison, it was about the re-release of Redwood and Wildfire. And now we're talking about We'll Do Magic for Small Change, which came out in October and is kind of a sequel to Redwood and Wildfire, but it's also it's also its own thing. And so I want to start with, hi, Andrea, how are you doing? <laughs> hey, I'm good. You're a sequel and not a sequel. Um, well, it's not a, well, I mean... It comes after Redwood and Wildfire, but it's not a sequel. Both books stand on their own. Um, So uh, the main character in uh, We'll Do Magic for Small Change is the granddaughter of Redwood and Wildfire. And and, um, there's an event in Redwood and Wildfire. They go, um, the two main characters go to the Chicago World's Fair. Um, and so there's a character uh, who's also a main character and will do magic for small change who's at the Chicago World's Fair and they cross paths so um, and they Redwood and Wildfire appear and will do magic for small change as you know grandparents who come and uh, visit Cinnamon but you don't need to have um, read the first book to read the second book yeah. Uh, you, you, so, just... yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's not like I have one story that I'm telling and that the first part happened with Redwood and Wildfire and this is the middle and then I'm going to write an end and you have to wait till the end to get it. Right. It's, yeah. yeah. It's not like that. You're, you're well, you you the... pulled that out pretty quickly. So that makes me think that people keep saying, oh, is this the middle part? Is this the middle mm. part? Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it's a third book called Archangels of Funk that I'm writing now and it's cinnamon and she's in her fifties. It's the near future. And she has a bunch of bots, circus bots. So, uh, and again, you don't have to read the first two books um, to appreciate Archangels of Funk. So. So one of the things uh, we, we recently had Wendy and Richard Peeney on uh, talking about their, their sort of legacy with ElfQuest and the work that they've done with that, which was super cool for me because I'm a ridiculous fangirl of theirs. But <laughs> yes, you, you are. You like this yes, I am. <laughs> that episode was a lot, and I apologize. Um, <laughs> but you're like the second author we had on recently, the second creator we've had on recently, who's kind of dealing with a vision of a, of a world and its characters that's multi-generational where we're kind of like going back to that world. And now we're going back to like another generation within this same family. And you can, you can pick up the story at whatever point you want to enter it. But there's also this sense of the characters relationships to one another and our sense of like how, how these characters moving through time become different people and kind of wondering like as a writer, 
What's the appeal for you in kind of revisiting at these very different points in time this evolving family? Well, I I was trying to write a single book that was epic that really wanted to look at how how um, ancestors affect us, how generations of stories um, guide us, how people that we didn't even know are walking with us as we make choices. Um, So I thought that was one book. (laughs) 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 So I tried to write it um, and it was a colossal, like, oh my God. So the first um, book I pulled out of that, I think it was called Exploding in Slow Motion. Um, so, yeah, so that was the original book. And I went, this is, you know, and I wrote it, I got to the end and went, this is a mess. Um, but really, um, uh, so I pulled the Redwood and Wildfire story out of that. I said, well, wait, wait a minute, what, you, you need to know their story. And I was trying to stick them into the cracks of that book. And so I just said, okay, let me just, what is their story? So I stopped writing Exploding in Slow Motion and wrote, Redwood and wildfires, so I would know who they were. I just couldn't have ancestors. <laughs> like, who are these ancestors? Well, well, what did they go through? You know, so I was, tr- I think I was uh, approaching the problem in, you know, not the way I should. So I really needed to know, well, okay, let's start with them, um, as opposed to having them as backstory. Um, but they weren't, you know, they were characters in the book, but they weren't the, 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 you know, main characters in the book. And then I loved them so much. I, I, I was like, wow, whoa. Okay. So yeah, that's why these are ancestors that would affect my characters. Um, so I had to write a book where the character met them and, and dealt with them. And that's, we'll do magic for small change. Cause if I was going to have the character in the near future be dealing with ancestors, maybe it would help if she knew them. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so then I wrote the next book, to the, the one that's coming out now, to find out what her relationship to them was, you know, and, and, and also, you know, um, investigate some things that I was interested in investigating, um, you know, uh, about part of the Redwood and Wildfire uh, world that I didn't get to investigate, which was, you know, people at the Chicago World's Fair. So uh, and so now I'm writing the book Archangels of Funk that I thought I was going to write, <laughs> you know, I don't know, almost 15, 20 years ago. Oh, OK. Now I can write um, this near future book about how ancestors have an impact on you as you write your code for your robots. Um, uh, so now but I know them all and I know her relationship to them. So um, it's it's easier to do that. Are, are you a are you a, a, a plotter slash outliner or are you a discovery writer slash pantser? I'm a discovery writer slash. Yes, why? Because what you're explaining is exactly what happened to me years ago. I started. I decided I wanted to write this epic uh, science fiction space opera kind of thing, and I started writing it, and I kept running into history. Yes. You know, yes. I kept going, I kept going, oh, you know, something has affected this character. What was it? Oh, it was this thing that happened 20 years ago. Oh, what was that? Well, now yes. I got to think about it. Right. And what ended up happening was I kind of set that book aside and I wrote a completely different book that set in the past to, to set that stage yes. for what happened and why they were at the point they were at in the right. other book. Exactly. That's my experience. Exactly. And I, I, you know, to me, um, and I'm a theater person, so I love plot, but I like to discover it just like what you said, that, that works for me. If I already know the plot, I feel like I'm done, you know, cause then I'm done. Like what, 
It's boring. Yeah, it's boring. You, know, yeah. you, you know what it is. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I'm because I like to discover and find it and go, oh my god, that'll solve that. So, <laughs> yep. Like you and you and Patrick over here, Andrea, aren't even like pantsers. You're like a sewing circle making pants. Yeah, yeah right. Like, right. We gotta find some pants. We gotta find oh, some oh, pants. Oh, Tracy, yeah. there's nothing. There's nothing worse or better than waking up in the middle of the night going, "Oh, that's why they did that." Yeah, no, that's true. true. I love that, and I have a pad by my bed so that you know I don't have to turn anything on. I just scribble yeah. something, and then I can go back to sleep. Yeah, so roll right over. Yeah. Yep. Yep. There is also the payoff that you sometimes get if you're interacting with someone who's read that work, and then they're like, "How did you know?" In plan, it's just so intricate, and it was such a cool surprise or something. And I, for me anyway, uh, on the few occasions I've had those types of conversations, it's been very fun to just like put on my my game face and be like, "Well, you know." It was a very- <laughs> yeah. As opposed to inside, where it's like my. My child in Christ, I had no idea either. (laughs) (laughs) No, yes, that's exactly it. I I really, you know, I call, you know, I think consciousness is just this little, you know, like thin layer kind of bubbling over the top of the, of the deep well. And so I trust the deep well, but you know, it makes me work like it's deep. So you got to like work to like have Mm -hmm. the stuff bubble up. But when it bubbles up, I'm like, okay, okay, I'm with you. I'll do it. You you want me to go that direction? Fine. Um, I don't, I don't argue with it. I just go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, who would have known that, that writing was an inefficient process? (laughs) Um, You know, talking about this, you've mentioned a couple of times that you are a theater person and the context of the Redwood wildfire multi-generational family that we're kind of coming back to and and will do magic for small change. They are themselves performers. Like it's a performative family. And I have to to sort of wonder, like, how much of that is – is this is this is Andrea sort of speaking the your own love language to yourself or how much like is, do you come from a performance family or uh, well my grandfather was a Baptist minister and he really performed every Sunday oh, uh, yeah. but he he wouldn't have said he was a performer but he was yeah <laughs> so and we went everybody went I, I you know I'm not the only one but we went for the performance and the music because the choir was really smoking too so between them and he would run up and down the aisle do all kinds of stuff you know I mean and, and you know and he was amazing so I think I have that as but but you know I, I thought I was going to be a physicist when I was young so I um and you know my parents my father was tone deaf and you know he was like wow you're going to go into theater oh lord you know are you going to starve <laughs> so um and he he was like um you know he could fix anything so he he thought i should go into science right because i you know i could do math and science and so be that physicist um and my mother was a social worker um so they all thought i was going to like do those kinds of things mm-hmm. um and my great aunt was a union organizer another performer so yeah. you know, the to- oh my gosh so um <laughs> so i i came from a family of very public people Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that the, they were out in the public. And but, um, I, you know, my brother was a newspaper editor. So, they, you know, they were all waiting for me to, to get my mind back and, you know, <laughs> be a lawyer if I had to, you know, if yeah. I wanted to perform or um, so. Um, yeah. So theater happened to me because I actually thought I was going to be a scientist as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I was a math textbook editor even. I mean, you know, I went, <laughs> I did it. I was like, no, I don't want to be a math textbook editor. Um, I want to write, um, not edit. Yeah. People, who, people who don't know how to use the language effectively to communicate their ideas. I don't want to just fix that <laughs> and, and, you know, make it, a, you know, accessible to people who are having a hard time with abstract concepts. No, I want to do, you know, storytelling. So. Yeah. Cause the, the math, the math, book like having to edit that and that doesn't add up no no and i love math Um. (laughs) (laughs) i mean you describe it as your family being like very public in there and i guess the way i would describe it is you've come from a family that where all of the various professions there was an audience like yes. if you're a union organizer your audience uh, is are people in labor who need yes. to sort of understand what's in it for them and what's right. at stake for them right you know if you're a preacher, you're motivating you're, them you're, you're motivating everybody yeah, yeah. All every single person had to motivate people mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so so and i i've i i you know love math and science um so that's the other thing that's in we'll do magic for small change i mean cinnamon um is very much you know engaged in theater as well as you know like yay math yay science so and that's something that's in all my books which is why i love science fiction and fantasy because i can bring together all the things that i love um and not have them fighting with each other yay (laughs) so so i'm really interested because the 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 and i I hesitate to say first book because I don't want to take away from you the fact that these books do stand alone together. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in Redwood and Wildfire, we have this this pivotal moment in the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago, which, by the way, as a Chicago girl, big ups there, you know. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, um, I'm obsessed with the, that fair. So, yeah. yeah well, <laughs> then, then you're going to love where I'm going with this question. And then we sort of return to that pivotal moment looked at as a lens of history and like why is that moment so sort of pivotal to to cinnamon and her family and like what how does it allow us to begin to sort of piece together a family mystery and so on um i guess why the 1893 world's fair like why is this touchstone so valuable to you uh well um i taught a class in um minstrelsy and wild west shows oh wow yeah uh and the, you know, uh, and the Chicago World's Fair had both. <laughs> you know? So uh, the uh, Buffalo Bills Wild West show was sort of outside of the fair. Um, and then they brought uh, women from Dahomey. They brought, uh, you know, the Dahomeyan Amazon, supposedly, and displayed them. I, you know, there's argument whether those were actually sideshow atmosphere. Yeah, whether are these just people they hired to pretend they were the Dahomeyan women warriors, or were they actually the Dahomeyan women warriors? So I, I, you know, but I'm a speculative writer, so I'm like, I don't, I don't care. They're, they were trying to bring somebody who could do this, um, and so I was just fascinated at what, what, what spectacles we could make of different people and how we made spectacles of them. And, and a big part of the 1890s in theater is shifting from minstrelsy to melodrama, from, from you know, really absurd um, stuff to like, this is real. <laughs> and yeah. so people began to act the stereotypes that had been presented on the stage from the 1820s to the 1890s, they began to themselves. So it, it wasn't just white people in blackface who used to play Indians, Asian Americans, African Americans, Irish, 
um, you know, because Irish weren't quite white. Um, you know, so they, you know, so in the 1890s, people tried to not be who they had been presented on the minstrel stage. That was a big thing. Um, so you get, you know, the you get Yiddish theater, you get Irish theater, you get Burt Williams trying to write um, musical comedies that aren't minstrel shows. So all that's happening. And I was just fascinated by African women landing in the middle of this in America after having fought a whole war uh, with the French. And I wondered, what did they think? And I couldn't find it. You know, as a historian, I mean, I had my students and we all looked and we could nobody talked to them. You know, there are pictures of them and their details and, and they, you know, and I read all the books that I could find. And so I went, OK, um, I'm going to have an alien um, come and um, meet these women and tell their story because, you know, I didn't want to pre pretend like we know their story. Yeah. So I'm just going to give you what the alien thought based on what the alien could pick up. Um, and so they're the ones at the Chicago World's Fair. Um, yeah. And so I follow them from Dahomey to, uh, they were also on display or there were displays in Paris. So they go to France and then they end up in New York and then they end up in Chicago. Um, so, and uh, so I'm just, I was just very fascinated by what that would mean to someone from Dahomey in the 1890s. Um, so, uh, so then I, you know, uh, and then what would that mean to Cinnamon in the 1980s? You know, you know, because she gets to read the aliens' account of their adventures. Um, and, and, you know, and I originally wrote this book, you know, and aliens didn't usually drop in on Africa or drop in on anybody in the 1890s. <laughs> um, but my alien was like, no, why, why are we only coming in 1950? Like, you know, we can come <laughs> in 1890 and have an experience. So... Um, and we don't, you know, I also didn't want like all the aliens often come to conquer or do some nasty. And my alien was like, no, I'm here to get your story. Yeah, I'm, I'm an you know, anthropologist. I'm here to. to yeah, I'm an anthropologist, basically. I mean, the alien views themselves as a as a griot. Um, right. which is a collector of West African storytelling. Yeah, so that because the alien kind of sees the world from the point of view of West Africa. So the thing that works best for the alien is griot. Ah, mm -hmm. I'm a griot. That's what I'm doing. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I'm collecting everyone's story. And um, so, uh, yeah, so it was exciting to, to like figure that piece out. That was one of those wake up in the middle of the night because I was trying to figure out how can I tell a story of women whose voices, like, never, you know, I don't know them. And people would assume, oh, well, you're black. You'll understand. I'm like, what? No, I'm living in like the 21st century. I am not, you know, uh, you know, I'm not uh, fawn. I am not Igbo. I'm not, what? Ah, ah, but I can do the alien from another dimension who tries to understand them that I can come, I can come from that, you know, I voice, um, you know, and use my research that way. So, yeah, uh, yeah. and, and then, then it got to be fun, uh, you know, cause before it was like, Oh God, how can I tell this story? Um, <laughs> and then I wanted cinnamon to be able to appreciate the story too. Yeah. So she gets to read it. That's awesome. I, I, I'm curious that Chicago's World's Fair, a lot of times they build structures for that. Is there any structures left? Well, there was a fire, yeah. but, there, you know, the, the Field Museum, 
so there are some structures left, but there was a fire and a lot of it. Parts of the museum and science and industry as well. Yeah, yeah. And there, I think there's a there there's maybe a garden or two that didn't burn. So there are a few little spots that didn't burn. Yes, um, if, you, if you go to Chicago on the lakefront, for those yeah. of you who are either keen to visit or, or are local and, and probably therefore already know this, there's what's often referred to as the museum campus. And yeah. it kind of flanks both sides of Lakeshore Drive um, on, the, on the side that's um, the Adler Planetarium and uh, the Shedd Aquarium or over on the lakeside uh, to the east. And a little bit further inland near the University of Chicago, you've got the Field Museum, Field Museum you've got... Yeah. Um, You've got the Museum of Science and Industry, and not too far away from either of those is the Sablo Museum of African American History, and so on. Um, and not all of those structures were part of the um, kind of larger campus of the World's Fair, but many of them, the Field Museum in particular, yeah. are, are remnants of it. And a lot yeah. of the, the Museum of Science and Industry is really just kind of an expansion of that original ground structure. Right. Yeah. And, and and I guess the the point of the question was like does 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 do any of those structures play a part in future novels like like revisiting to kind of be in the same space that those women were in or, or anything like that? Uh, I'm I'm more in Redwood and Wildfire. We really go into sure because um, uh, Aiden Wildfire has a moment in one of the museums where he kind of flips out. Um, but uh, uh, the Others, the the, the Dahomey women were on the outskirts of ah, okay. the. So I stay on the ground, and the and the Wild West show was on the outskirts. Um, so um, so I foc I focus on those spaces rather than you know the inside, which is what I did with Redwood and Wildfire, because they actually went and visited everything, even though this is out of their time because they time traveled. They went and and you know, saw some of the exhibits, went up in a, 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 um, a Ferris wheel, you know, nice. uh, you know, saw all of the, the, you know, the light bulb exhibit, you know, so they saw, <laughs> so yeah, they saw some of those things. Um, uh, and I love the fair. So I'm thinking of how to put it into another book. Cause I, you know, I mean, I did so much research and I have like, you know, like a stack of, of well, let's make past Andrea do some work for yes, <laughs> yes. I, I, well, look at all that. Um, uh, just images and you know, newspaper articles and things people said and letters people wrote, and those things are, are wonderful. Like people who went to the fair wrote about the fair. Um, so reading those because I wonder, like, well, you know, this is how it seems to me, but how would it seem to someone in 1893 to see electricity in action, sure, right? You know, so that sort of thing. Um, uh, you know, or to see the Ferris wheel or to be on, you know, and the Ferris wheel was huge. They had these huge, like big, you know, it wasn't like six people together. It was like a big car, you know? <laughs> so I was just, so I have all of that. I want to, I want to use it again. And I love Chicago. So, you know, I just, yeah, I want to get back. Yeah. That's cool. I, I, the other reason I was asking, I was thinking about, uh, uh, I lived in Knoxville for a little while. And uh, the first time I drive in on I-40, you know, here's this giant dome thing. And I thought, well, that's weird. And uh, it was it was probably a month later that someone yeah. at my at my job's like, don't you watch The Simpsons? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And they go, that's from the World's Fair that they had in Knoxville. I was like, oh. So I was just, you know, curious if yeah. there was like anything, yeah. anything like that left. No, I, I don't. I, yeah, they were on the outskirts, so it's more 
what happened on the outskirts of sure. the fair. Uh, I did mean, you, did, you, exhibits. did you did you have to do like and, and I'm only asking because he's buried here. <laughs> did you have to do a bunch of uh, uh, research into Buffalo Bill? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I, I did that. that for, uh, yeah, you know, and I've also there's, there's there's you know there's a lot of research on Buffalo Bill and there's a lot of research on um, those performances. So that's something I taught. So um, so I could use like you know um, you know like here are the groups of people we will now display. And Buffalo Bill was actually different than some of the other people displaying um, Indians and you know and I would say Indians because that's what they said. Um, and doing like we will recreate um, various yeah. events. Um, so they did recreation of events. And, and they actually, you know, tried to, to, to do what they thought was, a, a, you know, justice to their nobility and stuff. There were other people who were doing like, let's have some savages run around and act weird um, and not do anything uh, cultural. Uh, Buffalo Bill wanted to, to emphasize specific cultural things. And the others were just, you know, it's the same thing about the Dalmain women. I'm not sure they were. Uh, the Amazon women, you know, the, the, we'll, we'll just like have them stripped to the waist and jiggle around. Um, whereas, you know, the warrior women were, you know, doing other things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, so it, it's that sort of difference. Um, and, and Buffalo Bill, yeah, uh, respected it in his terms the people that he tried to present. I mean, yeah. <laughs> On a relative scale. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. hard to, like, you know, yeah, thank you. Because it's on a scale of, like, whoa, you could re you could be all the way over here and terrible. Um, and he, I, I, I think there's a contextual thing, right? It, it, for the time, he was doing respectful things. Yes, exactly. other people. Yeah. 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 I, his intention was to be respectful. Correct. And other people didn't give a crap. He, yeah. he was trying to be um, respectful, even if he didn't quite know how. So... Yeah, they have a home museum here, and they they talk about all that stuff. Yeah. So. Well, with all that under our belt, I think we're I think we are picks of the week ready. Oh. Are we? You want to do picks of the week? Yeah. yeah, let's use that energy. Let's do it. Picks of the week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Just the look at Andrea's faces that was going. That was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's kind of a serial music, you know. Yes. <laughs> That's the last time I'm coming on this crazy ass podcast. Um, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. But you know, I was thinking there's there's a conversation that I I wish we had time for, but I, I feel like maybe we'll just have to put a pause button on it and hold it for for when you are on. Um, for, for your next book. Um, but okay. we can have you for your next book. Um, oh, I think yeah. there's, there's a, there's a wonderful comment that you have made. It, it's a, it's a reference to master of poisons, not to, not to this present sequence of books, but the idea of being an Afrofuturist in league with indigenous futurists and kind yeah. of in keeping with that right now, um, my pick of the week, because I'm teaching it in, in my classes right now is a uh, Binti by Nedia Korofor. Yeah. Um, and so it's not uh, the most recent of her works, of which there are many. Um, but in 2015, it really cleaned up um, with uh, the world yeah. at, at, at uh, Hugo's and the Nebula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might have cleared the World Fantasy Award as well, or at least was nominated. Um, but for those of you who are not familiar, uh, while you can read Binti on its own, it is the first of a trilogy of novellas that Okorafor wrote. And um, what's really interesting about Binti is in the same way that um, 
Okorafor positions herself as an African futurist. Uh, Binti is an interesting fusion of imagining a future of the earth that where the story begins in Africa, um, but also mm -hmm. imagining how a person whose frame of reference is her tribal identity within Africa would take that with her literally to the stars. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it has a lot of a lot of touchstones in it that I know that when I teach it, my students really resonate with because uh, I teach at a boarding school. And so the idea that she is going away to a boarding school for the gifted is something that they really kind of glom onto. Um, but the the whole sequence of of the story, as Akorafor talks about it, is if Binti is sort of African girl leaves home, then the second book, uh, Binti the Night Masquerade, is African girl returns home, and the final book is African girl becomes home. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's uh, it's a lovely trilogy. Uh, it makes a great read. Um, and like as with all novellas, you know, you can really kind of have a have a great afternoon with just one volume of it at a time. So check out Binti uh, by Nedia Korfor if you haven't done that already. Yeah. All right. So, Andrea, how about you? I would. Um, well, I, I was trying to figure out which of the many delights so I'm going to try to sneak in two. One yep. is um, uh, Outlaws. Outlaw Saints by Daniel Jose Older. And it's nice. just it's just a wonderful, um, he invents uh, a Caribbean island and he brings together um, various groups of people on that island. And then they're in the diaspora in New York. Um, and, you know, they're dealing with all the things that you deal with in diaspora, but they're also this amazing motley crew of, uh, you know, uh, pirates, uh, Jewish, uh, religious um, folks and indigenous folks. So he, he really um, shapes this beautiful island world where all of these different cultural influences um, go together along with um, the religious traditions and then takes that and sends it to New York. So, I, you know, actually, I'm just going to leave it with that one because... Um, yeah. You know, it's a it's and 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 he sent me the second book. It's a, it's a trilogy, so I have a um. It hasn't been published yet, but I was I raved to him about the first one so much. He said, "Oh, you want to read the second one?" <laughs> Unfortunately, he sent it to me just as school was starting, so I haven't gotten to read it. So it's my Thanksgiving treat. So, but the first nice. one, um, the first book is just amazing. Hey, teacher to teacher, I'll tell you. Um, so Daniel can't can't feel bad if you're saving him for the Thanksgiving treat because the book that is the Thanksgiving treat for yourself that is, that is a high water mark. Yes, because that is that's five <laughs> precious days, right? That's not. And so whatever you're going to fit into that busy time, it, you know, it's going to be Daniel's book, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Patrick. Yeah. Oh, I'm 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 going with something that was a birthday present for me. Uh, on my birthday, Netflix dropped the first of uh, first three of nine new episodes of Unsolved Mysteries. That's oh, really awful of them. That's good. Yeah. And uh, so all nine are now available as of this recording. Uh, they did them in threes. So they did three on a on a Tuesday, I think, and then three on another Tuesday and then three on the next Tuesday. Uh, so you got nine in total. And uh, this is the revival of Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, and I, I just really enjoy it. And it's one of those it's one of those shows where, you know, there 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 is no solution. Right. That's why it's an unsolved mystery. And they they put it right up there up front, which a lot of other shows don't do. Mm -hmm. A lot of the true crime stuff, they they 
they uh, they rely on the whatever it is to keep you going through the whole thing, and then at the end they're like, oh yeah, by the way, of the thing itself. Yeah. Oh well, nothing. But like, it's in the title. It's an unsolved mystery. <laughs> and this time they had things like uh, they had some traditional stuff like you know murders and people just disappearing but they also had a, a great episode on uh ufos over lake michigan oh okay uh they had one about uh bigfoot sightings on a reservation oh my goodness okay. that uh was was you know throughout many many years and they actually had a a group of of indigenous law enforcement i guess who yeah. were dedicated to to going to out and talking discovery. to each person. Yeah. Talking yeah, to yeah, each yeah. person who had a story, tracking these things and trying to figure out what was going on, which I wow. thought was really interesting. Yeah. So uh, Unsolved Mysteries, Netflix, they dropped nine new episodes. Go check them out. That's cool. I, I think I might, I might dial that one up with Deirdre for one of our, um, cause I've, I've often wondered how she would, I think the, the old Unsolved Mysteries has a certain kind of like, now through the lens of time it looks a little rinky dink um yeah. but like robert stack's gravitas yeah. Yeah, like yeah. the opening theme and all of yeah. that like i remember vividly watching that when i was younger being like yes this is very silly stuff <laughs> and <laughs> one of the things one of the things that i like about this this is this is uh, an executive produced by sean levy okay who brought us schitt's creek and some ah. other stuff. This is Eugene Levy's son. And uh, one of the things that that is done in the very beginning is, you know, they have the music from the original Unsolved Mysteries. And at the very end, as the logo pops up, you do see a little shadow Robert Stack as like oh. an homage to him. Mm. It, you know, he kind of is, fades in and fades out, which I, I always thought was very cool. Like that's wow. that's neat. They're they're tying the the new to the old, and they don't have a narrator. They don't do the narrator thing. They don't have the guy that comes out in the suit and talks yeah. about you know oh and blah 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 blah. They don't do that. Uh, they just they just go right into it, and uh, I, I I've enjoyed it. It's been a nice revival. Yeah, yeah. What was the the? It wasn't unsolved mysteries, but it was something very similar that Jonathan Frakes did for a long oh. time around yeah. that same period. Yeah. Did so. There's been a couple of different revivals of Unsolved yeah. Mysteries. I don't know if that was one of them or if he was doing. Uh, there was also the Ripley's Believe It or Not at one point did one. They had Jack Plants, and then they did some someone else later yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it may have been something like that. It, it, there was also In Search of, which they've done yeah. a couple of times originally mm-hmm. with Leonard Nimoy, and then they've they've brought it back a few times and tried different things with different people. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I, I know what you're talking about, but I don't remember it. If you if you really wanna if you really wanna like spend uh, like waste an evening, uh, search some of Dan Aykroyd's YouTube videos, and okay. you just basically see him sitting there smoking a cigarette, talking about supernatural stuff, and and you're just going, oh, okay, so huh, this is Dan Aykroyd then, okay. And they go, Ghostbusters was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Huh? Huh? Um, yeah, you had to go make it weird, Dan. <laughs> all right well it has been a ball having you on andrea thanks so much for making time for us so okay we want to make sure that people keep an eye out for we'll do magic for small change where can they find it and you 
Uh, Will Do Magic for Small Change should be at your local bookstore. So support. Um, you know, go to IndieBound.com if you don't know which bookstore is local to you. Um, and they really will help you track down somewhere where you can, like, support books. Um, and I'm at AndreaHairston.com. Um, I haven't updated my uh, website recently um because my uh webmaster has been in the ukraine so i you know oh, no. working no no working doing good okay. works yeah okay, you good, know. good yeah yeah okay. so that's like yeah do that um so but i'm hoping he'll be returning and we'll be able to get it um back up and i'm i'm on facebook i, I don't think i'm going to be on twitter so you know it's not looking good um so i'm on um i'm on facebook so you can find me there as well all right. Thanks so much, Andrea. Thank you. Holy crap. This year is just flying by, isn't it? Sheesh. As always, thank you for listening. Special shout out to our backers over on Patreon for putting up with all the shenanigans Tracy, totally Tracy, does over on our super secret private Facebook group. I mean, <laughs> she is just constantly posting stuff over there, like, you know, articles, uh, movie and TV show trailers, even like daily music videos at this point. I mean, yeah, that's, that's totally all Tracy. So <clears throat> thanks for, uh, thanks for backing us. If you want to know, what the hell I'm talking about? Go check out patreon.com slash functional nerds and throw us a couple bucks. Then you will gain access to our super secret private Facebook group. Now, I will say you and I have to be friends on Facebook in order for me to invite you. It's a Facebook thing. It's weird. So there is a process. But still, uh, it would be really cool if you backed us and then, you know, joined us over there. Anyway. Robert and Todd, they totally promised us they would do this spinning sign thing on their street corners to drum up some listeners. And to date, they haven't actually followed through. So if you could go give us some stars on your favorite podcast platform, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you're going to, to find us and listen, that would be awesome. We'll, we'll work on the spinning sign thing with Robert and Todd as maybe sort of a holiday push. I can see them now, dressed as elves. And not the cool ones from Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Canoli Joe said he might, might consider some sort of social media campaign around the poodles for, you know, the upcoming Hugo season. Cough. Before I forget, beyond the trope, hit 400 episodes recently that's pretty cool giles and michelle were very very properly excited about this 400 is a huge milestone for a podcast to celebrate why not go check them out at beyondthetrope.com they put out a new episode every tuesday talking with writers artists and creatives from all over the place and that 400th episode was pretty cool so again, 
check them out over at beyondthetrope.com. Now, I'm sure that this is the point where I would normally have some more uh, stuff to kind of say, things to tease our backers with, but I totally forgot to write it, so... Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel. Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise. <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? Okay, that's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, "Hey, I really love what you do," I'm like. I'm sorry, do you know who I, like, I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.